0: As Rob said, um, I have the pleasure of leading the Central Vineyard in Northampton, and um, unfortunately Tammy couldn't be here this morning uh, because she's having to lead the services back in Northampton, so um, she sends her love, and um, uh, she's sorry that she couldn't be with you this morning. Um, Can we take a moment just to quieten our hearts and um, maybe just get into a posture uh, where, we, where we're fairly relaxed. It's quite hard, isn't it, when you're on small chairs? Um, but just get in a posture of rela- being relaxed. And maybe as you close your eyes, um, I just wanna, I want us to briefly just practice an ancient practice of the church. And so as we, as we sit, we're just going to create some space of silence. And what I want you to do is just sit with your... Hands facing downwards. Um, and what I want you to do is just begin to concentrate on your breathing. Just begin to breathe consistently. And just allow the world to stop. And as you feel the peace of the Lord, you might have things that you need to release to him. And so we go from palms down to palms up and we, we release distraction, anxiety, things that are on our minds, we release to him. as we sit in this place, I'm just going to read some words of Jesus. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is for my Father's glory. That you bear much fruit. Showing yourself to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me so of high loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remained in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete Amen So I hope you're enjoying the weather Um, Some people complain, don't they? Um (laughs) But actually, it's wonderful that summer has peaked so soon. Uh, my fear is, is on the 21st of July, it will rain, and um, we will spend the school summer holidays indoors. Um, um, but yeah, get it while you can. As, as Rob said, we are in a season of transition uh, in our church. About three years ago, we felt... Uh, God speak to us it's about just multiplying ourselves out across Northamptonshire and uh, began to think about what it would look like if we were to plant some different expressions of our church in some different communities uh, across the county. And so um, uh, in the spring this year, we, uh, we went into Kettering and in Wellingborough and just um, began to gather some people there. To our surprise, we gathered about 60 people. We weren't anticipating that. And um, so what took us about five years to do in Northampton, we did in six weeks. And, and so we, um, we gathered about 60 people, uh, and we're going to be launching a, a second location in Wellingborough uh, this September. So um, do pray for us, uh, because it feels a little bit crazy and going a little bit quicker than we anticipated. So uh, all good stuff. Um, so this morning, uh, as Rob said, you've been going through a series, thinking about what it means to practice the way of Jesus. Uh, And and so this morning, I want to think about this thing we call the soul. Um, I don't know if you've given the soul uh, much thought in the past, um, what it is, what it means to cultivate the soul, uh, what it means to uh, tend to and look after this thing we call the soul. And so I I guess a good place to start, uh, a good question to maybe ask, is is what is this thing we call the soul? Genesis uh, 2-7, right at the beginning of the scriptures, it says this, and it says, The Lord God formed man, and out out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God creates humanity from the dust, and he breathes life into the body that he forms. And that body becomes a living soul. And from there, the scriptures continue to talk about this thing we call the soul. And particularly that this thing, the soul, is a needy thing. I don't know if you've noticed that there's often expressions of need for the soul. Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 7, it says, All labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. And the soul needs something to satisfy it. We see, we see the soul has an appetite. Um, it longs to be nourished. Psalm 42, 1, it says famously, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Or, or Psalm Uh, 107.9, for he satisfies the longing uh, of the soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. But what on earth is this thing that longs to be satisfied, that craves, that yearns, uh, that wants to be fed, has a hunger that needs to be fed? Uh, one author, a guy called Jeffrey Boyd, he did a survey amongst hundreds of uh, church attendees, uh, and and really wanted to find about find out what they understood about this thing called the soul. Uh, and he found that most people said yes, they knew what the soul was. But as he dug a little bit deeper, and he got them to describe. A soul. What he what he discovered was they didn't really know, and um, and in fact he discovered that at least half of the people talked about the soul in this kind of Looney Tunes theory of the soul, and um, and, and what he meant by that was that we've all seen Daffy Duck, haven't we, when he gets the stick of dynamite and. He dies quite violent aren 't they? These cartoons he dies, and then this kind of ghostly apparition of Daffy Duck floats out of his body, playing a harp with with two two little wings and What he found was out of the hundreds of people they asked, "What is the soul?" Most of them thought that was what the soul was. It was some sort of ghostly apparition of ourselves that went on and lived. Uh, after we died. Or, Or how about this? You know, when you was a child, did your parents pray this prayer? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then there's the following more slightly disturbing line. If I should die before I wake, I pray my soul the Lord to take. I mean, who prays that with their kids? You know, good night, buddy. Sleep tight. See you in the morning, maybe. You know, um, you know. and what does it even mean to pray, Lord, I keep my soul? What does that mean? Now, the word soul isn't really um, that integrated in our culture it's not a word that we we talk about much Um, but in the ancient world it was very clear what the soul was and the and the role that the soul played Dallas Willard who I'm guessing you may have heard a lot from uh, in the last few months uh, he said this he says what's running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances or your thoughts or your intentions or even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life centre of the human being. The soul essentially is what makes you, you. Okay? And Dallas Willard has this helpful diagram, I think we've got on a slide, uh, which illustrates how, how much of the ancient world viewed what, what we might call the anatomy of personhood. Uh, if you like reading books, I'd really encourage you to read a book called Renovation of the Heart um, by Dallas Willard. It, it'll probably take you about a year to read, um, but I, I, I would heartily recommend it. But in this book, he talks about the anatomy of the soul. And now I haven't got time to do this justice, Um, and if you would like, I'll I'll send Rob a copy of a talk we did on this, and you can have a listen. But um, just to say, I'm going to give you the two-minute version. The first circle at the center uh, is the will. This is the core of who we are. This is our ability uh, to make choices. Um, This is what makes human beings... Unique against all other creation. In the scriptures, uh, when it addresses the will, it often refers to the heart or the spirit of a person. Uh, so that's kind of what the will is. The will is this, this small muscle that has a great effect, that, that gives us this ability to choose. The next circle is, is the mind. And the remind can, the, uh, the mind can refer to our thoughts, our feelings our our memories, our consciousness our our values. It can refer to how we feel about our values, our experiences, our emotions, things like guilt, things like joy. How, how many of us carry guilt? you know I remember when I was uh, fifteen years old, and my parents went on holiday, and I threw an amazing party um, and managed to get about. 50 or 60 people in a mid-terraced house on a Thursday evening. And um, I think about it now, and I still feel guilty. I still feel the guilt of that. They've left that house, moved out of that house. And, uh, but you still, we can still feel guilt. And that all comes under the, the dimension of the mind. And you know, our mind doesn't always function correctly, does it? Our mind is, is kind of goes all over the place, uh, and we can have different thoughts, and we can think different things, and it affects our attitude, and it affects the way we respond. Our, our mind is a complex thing. And then there's the body, and this is, this is where all kinds of appetites and habits take place. Now, our body uh, is meant to be subject to our minds and will, but it doesn't always go that way, does it? And, and sometimes the body will take over, and, uh, and and the will and mind become enslaved to the desires of our body. That's where addiction takes place. And then the last circle is the soul, and the soul is the thing that integrates all the other parts together. The will our minds, our bodies, into a single person. You see, the soul was made for us to live in harmony, to be at peace with ourselves, with each other, and with God. And so the soul is really important. Dallas Willard, he says, the soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts, the mind, the will, the body, into a single, whole life. And so it's interesting, isn't it, when Jesus, in, um, in Mark chapter 8, he says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Now, if you're like me, you've probably read that scripture a, a bit like this. What good is it to gain everything in this world and simply die and go to hell? Have we, have we read it like that? But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I'm not sure he's, he's saying that. Jesus is actually saying it's much more than that. I think he's, he's describing a person who's living a disintegrated life, who has a disintegrated soul. Is it describing a person who's gained so much in this life and yet still feels like they're falling apart on the inside. I think it's possible that Jesus is saying it's, it's possible for us to forfeit our souls at this point and not just at the point of death. Yeah? That we can forfeit ourselves right now by the way in which we conduct and live our lives and, and do life. And you know, the reality is many of us spend lots of time and effort caring for many different parts of our lives. I have a neighbor who um, religiously every Saturday will clean and polish and hoover his car. It's like a, a ritual. He does it every single week. I, I keep driving my car onto his drive. He, does, he doesn't offer to do the same for me. Um, but he just religiously does this. He's, he's like the man is obsessed. He's, he's obsessed with cleaning his car. But we can all be obsessed about different things can 't we different things that we kind of give our attention to? We all have things in our lives that we devote ourselves to that we become a little bit obsessive about and um, and we, we love to care for and tend to you know Some of us might love to tend to our gardens. Um, if you saw our garden right now and you 're a person who tends the gardens, you would be horrified. Um, some of us love to attend to you know, our, the things that we enjoy in life, whether it's collecting fine bottles of gin um, or whiskey. I don't, I don't mind either. Um, so um, uh, that, that might be something that we love to attend to. Some of us like to attend to advancing our careers um, or you know, making sure we're on the right path and stuff like, stuff like that. So we love to attend and give care to things. But one of the things that we often neglect is this thing we call the soul. We, we don't always attend to or cultivate or invest in this thing we call the soul. And so we live in an age where everything looks really good on the outside. But on the inside, many of us... Are falling apart. Many of us live with a instead of the parts being integrated, we live with a disintegrated soul because we fail to care for care for it. And so and so the parts aren't integrated; they aren't harmonious. Um, but actually, they're they're falling apart. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew uh, chapter eleven? Um, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, picking up in verse 28. So it says this, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So for the kind of time that we've got left this morning, um, I want to think about that phrase that Jesus says, you will find rest for your soul. I don't think Jesus, when he says, you're going to find rest for your soul, I don't think he's saying you're going to get a bit more sleep. Okay, Although sleeping is good and healthy, and I encourage you to do it. Um, and I don't think he's talking about, it's talking about rest in that sense of the word. He's, he's talking about something much more than that. He's talking about having a real peace of heart, a, a real sense of steadiness. Uh, and, and living in harmony. Does anybody know what the words R-E-M stand for? R-E-M? R-E-M. Yep. Yeah. What rapid rapid eye movement. Rapid eye movement. And and rapid eye movement is that stage when we are when we're asleep, where our eyes kind of go all funny. You know, if you was going to film yourself sleeping, your eyes would go all funny. And um, they, they say that when you are in REM sleep, you are at your deepest, most rested place. And, and, it, and, and in many ways, when Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest for your soul, I think he's saying, I want to offer you an REM kind of rest for your soul. A really deep, fulfilling rest for your soul. And who does he invite to this rest? Well, he says, Come to me, all who are weary. Now, the, the Greek word here for weary has this connotation uh, that you're weary because um, of the pace, uh, that you're living at such a pace that it produces exhaustion. That's kind of the connotations of the, of the Greek in that word weary. And, and, you know, we don't have to look far um, to see that we live in a world that pushes us to live life at pace. Um, and that, and we, have, we live in an extreme place of exhaustion most of the time. You know, have you ever noticed that when when you make small talk in church, and maybe you were guilty of it this morning, um, you know, you, you, you say to people, how, how, how are you doing? How's your week? I can guarantee 95% of the time your answer will be, well, it's been busy. Uh, anybody said that this morning? I, I think I have at least three times, you know. Uh, um, uh, Or maybe you're in work, in the office, and you see someone, you're chatting with your colleague at the water cooler, and you say, how is it going? And more than likely, they say, I'm tired. Yeah? So it's been busy, I'm tired. And the reality is 21st century life is busy. And many of us are in this perpetual state of tiredness, which results in a pace of life that produces hurry and so this is definitely uh, an epidemic of our age so much so we we often try to speed things up has anybody ever been guilty of getting in a lift and pressing the closed door button because you think it, it gives you this illusion doesn't it that the door's going to close quicker if you press that button <laughs> Or how many of you have been in a supermarket queue at the till and you count the number of items the person in front of you has got against the, the items that the person in the other checkout have got and you think, if I go behind the other person, can I get through quicker? Um, or how many of you are at traffic lights and you know there's a queue of traffic in one lane and no traffic in the other and so you get in that other lane just to be in front? You see, the great illusion of our day is that hurrying will buy us more time. If we hurry, we'll get more done. Yet, actually, it has the opposite effect. And, you know, the advancement of technology hasn't helped us. Uh, In the 1960s, experts in time management within the U.S. Senate advocated that due to the advancement of technology, that within 20 years people would have to cut back their working hours. Uh, They would even have to cut back their working week and even start to consider retiring early. And so the great challenge to come was due to technology advancing that, that people would have to figure out, you know, how do they retire early because there'll be so less to do. There'll be no more to do. And yet the reality is... In hindsight, technology has in fact done the exact opposite hasn 't it? instead of working less, we work more um, we we multitask i 'm not sure that word even existed twenty years ago We multitask we we take calls whilst driving we reply to emails whilst eating our lunch we We have totally lost the ability to switch off. As one author said, never before in human history has society been so things-rich and so time-poor. Willow Creek, which is a a large suburban church in the States, they did a survey of a number of their church attendees, which is a really interesting thing to read. But one of the questions they asked uh, the, the people in the church was, what is preventing you growing spiritually? And the number one answer from people was, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. See, one of the cultural moments, one of the cultural challenges that we face with hurry is often that being busy and being hurried is seen as a positive thing. We're like, you know, to let others know that we've been busy, it kind of says something about us, that we're busy, we're under demand, people require things of us, uh, people need our time and our attention, and it gives us a sense of importance, that we're successful because we're busy, productive people. Another author said, he says, if we want to live a wholehearted life, we have to be um, become intentional about cultivating sleep and play, and about letting go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as our self worth. Dallas Willard again, he says the most important factor for spiritual growth is the relentless to relentlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Ortberg. He said this again and again, as we pursue a spiritual life, we must do battle with hurry. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And so it's no shock to any of us that the pace of life that we live brings weariness to the soul. And so, what impact does hurry have on the different components of our personhood? Well, if we take the will, you know, on a day to day basis, we're bombarded with choices. To make, aren't we? What should I wear to make the right impression? Or, if you're in my case, Tammy, what should I wear <laughs> to make the right impression? Um, what tasks should I carry out uh, to make me the most productive? What event should I attend? What food should I eat? You see, because we're bombarded with so many choices on a daily basis, it makes the will weary. <laughs> What about the mind? Our minds are bombarded with information, screen upon screen, battling for our attention. And many of us, um, you know, we carry this kind of mental to do list in our minds, don't we? we I've got to, you know, I've got to, I've got to see this person, I've got to pay this bill, I've got to answer this email, um, I've got to do these things, I've got to get to this place. And it's just weary, isn't it? It just makes your mind grow weary. And what about our bodies? Well, we stay up late. We binge watch Netflix. We then have to get up early. uh, And we run on very little sleep. Uh, We top top our lives up with coffee. Uh, We drink a Red Bull in the afternoon and... And maybe a glass of wine in the evening. And then we collapse in exhaustion and we do it all again. And so the pace that we live makes our bodies weary. It brings fatigue to the soul. Not only does Jesus invite the weary, but he also invites the burdened. Who could be the burden? They could be those who grieve, those who are sad, disappointed, lonely. Maybe those who have worry and anxiety and stress. Those in conflict, financial ruin or in, in ill health. Whatever our burden is, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus also goes on in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What might Jesus want to teach us in this moment? Well, let's think about this in light of created order. God creates all things. And on the sixth day, he creates what? He creates Man, he creates mankind. It wasn't a trick question. Okay. Um, he creates mankind. And then on the seventh day, what does he do? Rests, yes. And it always intrigued me. It was like, who gets a job, like man, um, and the first day on the job is a day off? That's, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. That God creates all things, he creates humanity, and he gives them dominion over creation, and he, he gives them all this responsibility, and he says, the first thing I want you to do, day one of the job, is I want you to have a day off. That's a good deal. And could it be that in creation, the first thing that God wants to make clear to us is that he loves us, not based on what we do, but who we are. Who we are before him. And we, so we see this rhythm in the scriptures, six days of activity and one day of rest, six and one. Now, now, some of you never take a day off, okay? Some of you never take a day off. And you've told yourself you never take a day off because you're being productive, okay? That's the lie that you've told yourself. I came across this guy a few years ago, a guy called Alex Pang, And he wrote this book called Rest. He says, and the the subtitle is, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less. That sounds good, like a good book to read, doesn't it? I'd encourage you to uh, pick that up. Now, uh, Pang talks about um, our need for deliberate rest. He says, working better does not mean working more. It means working less and resting better. Treating rest as a positive activity, secondary, secondary uh, as a passive activity, secondary to work, undermines our chances for a rewarding and meaningful life. Pang, who's, uh, I'm not sure he's a Christian or got any religious connotations, as far as I understand, he kind of taps into this idea that that God has called us <laughs> To rest, That God has built something into creation. And, and, and that we're not meant to work against the rhythms that God has created in order for humans to flourish. God has designed us to be productive, but he's also designed us to rest. And it's interesting, isn't it, to note the order that rest comes. Rest comes first. You see, creation... Works from a place of rest. We rest, or maybe we collapse and then go to the place of work. And so the question is this do you take a day to rest? Do you rest? Do you take time off? Do you have a day of deliberate inactivity? Do you have a day, once a week, where you disengage intentionally and become unproductive? Some of you are cringing on the inside, thinking. (laughs) Now Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Many of you know what a yoke is. A yoke is something that sat over the shoulders of an ox and they would pull a burden. But it's also important to add that the the language of a yoke was also used by rabbis uh, in relation to their disciples. uh, You know, the people that followed them. So so, uh, when a person became a disciple of a rabbi and followed him, it was referred to as them taking on the yoke of their rabbi, and, and so the disciples would commit themselves wholeheartedly to their particular rabbi, their teacher, uh, and they would behave and they would devote themselves and become like the one they were following. And so, when Jesus says these words, "Take my yoke," he's not just making a nice metaphor. Okay, he's he's, he's using very intentional words. He says, "Take my yoke." Uh, he's been really intentional here. He says, "Come to me." all who are weary and burdened and take my yoke. In other words, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and take my burden instead. He says it really clear. He says, and, 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 and so if we're called to follow Jesus and to pursue his kingdom uh, and we're called to practice the way of Jesus, then we're called to lay down our yoke, lay down our burdens and, and, and take on his but the problem is, is that we yoke ourselves to so many things, don't we? We we give ourselves to so many things. We we can yoke ourselves to achievement. You know, where we 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 think, um, yeah, you know, we've got to achieve all these things because we're constantly comparing ourselves to someone else. And so, and so, we think we just become enslaved and yoked to overachieving all of the time. We can, we can, we can yoke ourselves to our appearance, and, and build our whole lives around uh, something that we just simply aren't. You know, uh, um, and, and we become someone we aren't. You know, I will not get away wearing skinny hipster jeans. <laughs> With, with, with uh, you know threads in them, it just wouldn't work for me. Um, and, and and so we but we can live our lives and we can be yoked to a certain appearance, a certain view, and, and project a certain view, and 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 actually never be ourselves in the process. We can yoke ourselves to approval. Uh, we can we can live our lives in such a way where, where we just long for a certain person to be constantly approving of who we are. And if you've ever been in that place before, you'll know it's exhausting. It's exhausting to be in that place, constantly looking for this other person's approval. Maybe it's a, a father figure in our lives. Maybe it's uh, you know, a, a, a work colleague or a boss or whatever it might be. But we're constantly yoking ourselves to approval. But Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he says this, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And it's important that Jesus says that. Because often, we don't take Jesus' yoke because we don't trust him. We don't trust what he says is true. But Jesus says, I'm gentle and humble of heart. Another translation says, I won't lay anything Ill-fitting upon you, and so as we attempt to put some application to this, I want to finish off by thinking about your time. Okay, so just to try and make this practical. Now, the language in the the New Testament uh, for time there's actually two different words. Uh, one word is Chronos, uh, where we get the word chronological from, uh, and it 's this idea that time has a beginning and time has a, an end it 's a, a a chronological time period, yeah a start and a finish but there 's also another word for time in the scriptures, and that 's Kairos which is which has a slightly Different meaning, and so instead of time being a beginning and an end it 's a moment in time okay, uh, and so I happen to be in daventry on the Grange Estate at this time today okay that's a that 's a Kairos that 's Kairos time and, and, so, and so the challenge to those of us who want to pursue Jesus and practice the way of Jesus is that we would learn to live. In Kairos time in an age of Kronos, that we would learn that we would learn to stop in the moments of busyness. And so whilst the world around us is living at pace and is out of control, we as God's people are expected to experience those Kairos moments. And we need to learn to become a people who experience the presence of Jesus in our lives, in the busyness of the world around us. Not just on church on Sundays, not just in a small group if you're extra spiritual, but in the busyness of life. We're meant to experience his presence. And so I've got a challenge for you this week. Well, a couple of different challenges, okay? Some of you might want to take both of them. But the first challenge is a slightly easier one than the second one. The first challenge is, I want to challenge you to have a lunch break. You're thinking, well, that's profound. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It is, actually. Um, It's very easy, isn't it, in church to talk about spiritual practices and to talk about all these things that we can do to engage in spiritual disciplines and not get it right on a daily basis. And so if we're going to talk about this practice of rest, what would it look like over this next week for you to take a lunch break? And what I don't mean is get your lunchbox and sit at your desk and read Facebook. Okay, I don't mean that. I mean walk away from your desk Turn off your screen, sit somewhere quiet, or sit somewhere with some friends, and have a lunch break. Does anybody reckon they could do that? Wow so that 's the first challenge, okay Have a l- Some of you think of it 's food it 's easy. I can have a lunch break, um, but have a lunch break. The second challenge is this. At some point this week, attempt to have an hour of silence and solitude. Just an hour. How many hours are in the week? 160, whatever. Um, so, an hour of silence and solitude. Again, that means no phone, means laptop closed, no responding to Facebook messages but an hour to still your soul and see what Jesus has to say. Henri Nguyen, who was a a church mystic, he, he said this, Many of us are driven. Solitude pokes a hole in our drivenness and helps us to stop for a moment and ask, What is all of this for? And so it means spending time in a place of silence and solitude and listening to the voice of God. Hearing the voice of God reminding you, you're my beloved, you're my child, I love you with an everlasting love. I don't you don't need you to achieve anything I don't need you to appear the right way I don't need you to gain my approval just yoke yourself to me come and be with me and if it works this week for an hour maybe next week you could do 2 hours do you think you could take that challenge and then, what I want you to do is, I want you to email Robin Ange with what Jesus said to you. What did Jesus say to you when you took a moment to still your heart and be before him? One of the things that, um, as a family, we've been on a journey over the last year or so, just trying to recapture the practice of sabbath in our lives we we live busy lives where we're often working two or three nights a week and you know we we run a busy staff team in our church and and uh, our kids you know we become taxi drivers in the evening and all those sorts of things and 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 so we've been we've been on a journey as a family thinking what does it look like for us to practice the way of Jesus and, and, and to live out Sabbath in our lives. And so one of the things we've done with much kicking and screaming from me, no, from our children, is that on, on, on a Friday, so a Friday is my day off. Um, I don't go in the office or anything like that. Um, uh, on a Friday, Tammy and I will do the housework and do any last-minute tasks that need doing. But at 6 o'clock on a Friday, we down tools, okay? And that means um, iPods, iPads, iPhones, MacBooks, they all get turned off in our house. And, uh, and then we, we have a meal together. We feast together as, as a family. We pray together. Uh, and then we might go and play a game. We might watch a movie, do lots of things. And then we rest really well. We don't have a late night. We go to bed and we sleep, and um, and we enjoy sleeping that night because it's restful and there's no distractions. Uh, and then Saturday we will hang out some more, maybe cook breakfast and and chill out and just enjoy being. People together, being family together. And then at six o'clock in the evening, the kids are waiting at the door for their phone in case the world has stopped moving in the last 24 hours and we get back into the rat race of, of life. One of the things that we've noticed is that over the last few weeks, we haven't been able to do that as a practice. And it's been really hard. And, and my seven-year-old daughter yesterday said, uh, are we doing Sabbath this Friday? And Tammy was like, no, because Rachel's doing this and this is happening and this. And she was like devastated. And it suddenly dawned on us again just what it meant to rest as a family, to, to be a family who rests. So, so yeah, that's my confession to you. <laughs> And that this Friday, we're going to pick up Sabbath again, you know. And so, if you try and get hold of us on a Friday evening through to Saturday evening, you won't get hold of us because none of our devices are on. And to think about it, you know, 25 years ago, none of those devices were on because they didn't exist, and the world still moved, mm-hmm. and um, nothing bad happened, or, or, or anything like that. So. What are you going to do? You're going to take a lunch break. Okay. You're going to, I've gone over 10 minutes. Um, You're going to take a lunch break. I'm not going to rush. Um, You're, you're, um, and you're going to try and practice an hour of solitude. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hands up. Are you doing that? Right. We've taken a photo. Okay. Um, um, And, um, and then you're going to email Robin Ange and you're going to tell them what Jesus said to you. Okay, does that sound like a plan? Okay, should we stand and we'll pray? This is the moment where I normally rely on my wife being here because she's the prophetic one and she can have words of knowledge for you and um, I'm slightly less inclined for that. But um, let's pray, see what Jesus might want to say to us.